Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast that delivers cutting-edge food as medicine solutions for optimal health. Allie Miller is a nutrition expert sought up by the media and America's top medical institutes for her revolutionary functional medicine interventions. From disease treatment to prevention, every episode will empower you with ways to put yourself back in control of your health. Please note, the topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu. Welcome to episode 333 of the Naturally Nourished Podcast. I feel like that's a lucky number or something. (laughs) So today we are continuing with our theme of heart health for rounding out the month of February by bringing on a special guest, Dr. Stephen Hussey, a chiropractor, functional medicine practitioner, and heart health expert. Yes. Dr. Stephen was on a medical panel with me at KetoCon this past summer. And following that panel, he provided me with his book, Understanding the Heart. And I thought it was just a really fantastic read and a great way to tie things together as we come to conclusion with all things you can do to support heart health. In today's episode, we'll talk a little bit about the stress and autonomic nervous system connection to heart disease risk. We'll also dig into some of the mechanisms of atherosclerotic plaque formation. We will talk about some myths and nuances in the cardiovascular field and uh, some of the biomarkers that we might want to put more focused interest on versus some of those standardized panels that many cardiologists get myopic about. Yes. Um, So lots of good stuff to dig into. You might want a pen handy to make some notes. Um, And just updates from us. Um, We've got a couple of new supplement formulas coming down the pipeline. So first off, we've added to uh, our supplements uh, the CoQ10 200, which is the CoQ10, it's the CoQ10 complex 200, right? Um, It's the same wonderful formula of our 100 milligram um, CoQ10 just now available in a more potent dose. Yes. And if you listened to last week's episode of the Naturally Nourished podcast, we talked about myocarditis or inflammation of the heart. And we also talked about the increase of sudden adult death syndrome, as well as the risk factors that we're seeing in cardiovascular health in youth and teens. So when we were digging into a lot of this data, we really saw CoQ10 to be a star of the show or a really important player in regulating cardiovascular health. In fact, we've seen CoQ10 to actually be able to suppress the damage of both viral infection and the damage that spike protein levels can have from whether it's from natural infection or from injection. Um, We've seen that CoQ10 is the really important antioxidant that plays a role in reducing myocarditis, that it plays a role with decreasing oxidative damage to tissues of the vessels, that it can also be used as a successful treatment add-on for heart failure and cardiovascular disease. It increases our favorable HDL cholesterol ratio. It reduces that inflammatory marker, high sensitivity C-reactive protein. And of course, CoQ10 is an essential for any individual that has had a cardiac incident, especially any of those that are on a statin drug, because those statin drugs block that same enzyme pathway in the liver that produces CoQ10. And so when we bring in CoQ10, we can see not only reduced inflammation, better heart function overall, and uh, reduced damage in the cardiovascular tissue, but we can also see reduced muscle aches and weakness that can be a undesirable side effect from those statin drugs. So We decided instead of having you take three single capsules of our CoQ10, we could give you savings by encapsulating a more potent 200 milligram gel capsule. So this is more equivalent to like the size of our super turmeric. It's a larger elongated oval shaped gel capsule. But like Becky said, it will still have the same uh, formulation of our CoQ10 complex just at a relatively doubled dosage. So it still has that zinc oxide in there, still has the turmeric extract in there. um, And then of course is delivering 200 milligrams of that very important antioxidant CoQ10. 
So if you fall into any of that category, especially if you're dealing with long haul or drama with viral infection or drama with injection, this would be a really important player to make sure that we're not having actual tissue damage from that harmful circulating spike protein. Totally. And then um, I have a lot of my fertility patients also on a higher dose of CoQ10. So that would also be totally appropriate to upgrade to this 200 next time that you guys re-up your CoQ10. It's on the same page. So I'll link it in the show notes, but um, same page where you always found the CoQ10 complex. And now it just has a drop down where you can select 200 versus 100 as the dose. All right. And then if you missed it in the week prior, we did an entire episode on homocysteine levels. Um, Why is my homocysteine elevated and what we can bring in to regulate? And this is a marker of vascular inflammation. We introduced our methyl complete formula, which is a comprehensive formula that provides methylated folate so in the form of 5-methyl tetrahydrofolate this is the body ready form of folate and it's combined with vitamins B6 and also a methylated form of B12 and betaine. These help as activators and regulators of vascular inflammation. Uh, and there's also N-acetylcysteine in this formula. So when Dr. Hussey talks about toxicity, we know that that NAC plays a big role in liver support. And all this combination of the nutrients in our methyl complete are shown to actually support healthy metabolism, healthy mood and brain chemistry. We actually introduced this on the lag of our uh, mental health podcast that we released. Um, And we know that methylation can play a role in manufacturing serotonin, for instance. Um, But this is a great formula for mood stability, neurological health, and definitely to get homocysteine levels optimized. And that in turn reduces rigidity or inflammation and fibrolytic activity in the vessels. Yes, and then we've also um, added to our arsenal of things to support your heart health, our heart health bundle. Um, so kind of shocking we didn't have this bundle already right? Um, because we're prescribing you know, these formulas all the time, but our heart health bundle is going to include the CoQ10 100, right? We want you to kind of a starter dose that you can be a little more flexible with versus the 200. Um, It includes that methyl complete, that new formula. And then it's also going to include our EPA, DHA, extra, and boost and burn. And you'll hear us talk in the episode, um, definitely Stephen Hussey um, highlighted carnitine as an essential nutrient for heart health, especially following a cardiac event and in the case of things like heart failure, uh, but really, really important nutrient there for the heart. And then we talk all the time about the importance of omega-3s and heart health. So you can head on over to Ali Miller RD to check out the CoQ10 200, that more a potent dosage of our CoQ10 complex, the methyl complete, or go ahead and check out that heart health bundle, which has those four very important formulas that support optimal cardiovascular health. Uh, let's go ahead and read Dr. Hussey's bio and bring him on to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Dr. Stephen Hussey, MSDC, is a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. He attained both his doctorate of chiropractic and master's in human nutrition and functional medicine from the University of Western States in Portland, Oregon. He's a health coach, speaker, and the author of two books on health, The Health Evolution, Why Understanding Evolution is Key to Vibrant Health, and Understanding the Heart, Surprising Insights into the Evolutionary Origins of Heart Disease and Why It Matters. Dr. Hussey guides clients from around the world back to health by using the latest research and health attaining strategies. In his downtime, he likes to be outdoors, play sports, read, write, and travel. Welcome to the Naturally Nourished Podcast, Dr. Hussey. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we're excited to chat with you. I enjoyed sharing a panel with you at KetoCon this past summer, and you gave me a copy of your book. And we were just really compelled with your personal story and journey and thought that that would be a great way to open up. I'd I'd love for you to share your journey with heart health and um, also what made your career decision to become a chiropractor and functional medicine practitioner. For sure. Um, Yeah. So, you know, like lots of people, I guess, uh, in the the health space, um, you know, it started with my own personal health journey, like my interest in this, especially the heart. Um, but uh, yeah, you know, at a young age, I had a lot of um, inflammatory conditions, I guess I should say, um, you know, everything from asthma to, I used to break out in chronic hives all over my body. Um, I had terrible allergies, 
Um, and then I had I'd really bad IBS and stuff and ultimately ended up with autoimmune type one diabetes, or, you know, it's said that it's autoimmune you know, that where my body attacked itself and the cells that make insulin no longer do that. And so I have to take insulin to control my blood sugars. And so, you know, all those things kind of threw my parents and I into this world of, of Western medicine to help me manage these conditions. And, um, you know, so, you know, as, as I, you know, went to doctors and endocrinologists, uh, throughout my childhood, uh, I just remember, you know, learning slowly over time that, I was pretty predisposed to heart disease, you know, and um, these, um, you know, diseases of the blood vessels, uh, you know, sure. where my, my eyesight could go bad or my, my, uh, you can get neuropathy, your kidneys can go bad and you're predisposed to atherosclerosis and heart attacks and things like that. Um, and so, you know, for a long time, I've just, well, I guess in college, I really started to figure out that the way I live my life um, had a direct impact on my ability to manage these conditions uh, that I had. And, you know, I'm happy to say that all of them are gone aside from the collateral damage that is type one diabetes, um, you know, just by changing lifestyle. And I thought it was interesting that, you know, no doctor had ever really told me that it was always count your carbohydrates, give yourself insulin. Um, sure. That was that was the main treatment. I, I remember having a book or being given a book of that listed every single fast food item you could think of uh, yeah. from every restaurant and just calculated and just told me how many carbs was in it so that when I ate it, I could give myself the right amount of insulin. Mm -hmm. uh, but there was no talk about what to eat or when to eat or anything like that. Um, and so, you know, it's just kind of this trial and error process. And I found that because I, I wanted to be a medical doctor, I had a really good um, relationship with my pediatric endocrinologist. He was a really good guy. Um, I see now in hindsight that he didn't really have all the information that I think he should have had and, and things, but he was, uh, he was really good at helping, you know, a child understand what was going on um, to them. And so I was kind of inspired by that. I want to be a physician of some sort, but I was really disillusioned with medicine when I found out that all these things that I was doing to help my health were never told to me. Um, and so my parents had taken me to chiropractors for, um, you know, pretty much in my, my entire childhood. So I was like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll be a chiropractor, um, having no idea about anything, you know, philosophy wise with chiropractic and the difference between the schools and everything. I was just like, Oregon sounds good. I'll go to the West coast and be a <laughs> chiropractor. Um, and so that's what I did. And, and, you know, I thought I was going to get all the answers in, you know, learning a very medical education. Um, but I didn't. And so I kept looking and I went and got a master's in functional medicine. Um, still didn't give me the answers I want. Um, it gave me a lot of good background information and good knowledge, but, um, I'm always looking for more. And so it's just been this, you know, never ending journey of, uh, of trying to find out what creates health, um, and, you know, um, how to create health. And so I'm, I'm still on that journey today, you know? Um, but yeah, so yeah, um, now I, I'm a chiropractor. I, I do kind of online consulting, uh, more functional medicine stuff online, but ultimately, um, you know, despite all my efforts, um, back in 2021, January, 2021, I actually had a heart attack and, um, you know, it was a complete shock to me and, um, and yeah, I'm still, you know, figuring out why it happened. I probably never know exactly why it happened, but I have my, um, suspicions and, you know, it was, a a huge learning experience because I had done all this research trying to prevent it. And I, I realized that it was still, um, not the research itself, but like my, my efforts and, and the things in modern society that create a situation where heart attacks happen and why they happen, which, you know, I think we're, we're totally off base as far as the conventional wisdom of why they happen. Um, it, there's a lot of information out there that's very contrary to what um, we're told as either as physicians, but as even as a society, just a conventional wisdom. And so I've kind of made it my passion to kind of keep sharing that information as I come up with it and sharing my own experience and what I've learned from it, because I know there'll people, be people in the same situation. Um, there are every day. And um, I feel like the information is, is vital for them to have to make decisions going forward with their health sure. uh, because the care I received in the hospital, you know, emergency care was absolutely brilliant and it saved my life. Sure. But after the fact, it was, it was pretty lackluster and I couldn't believe the things that I was being told. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I've kind of made it my mission to, to share these things so people know. Let's talk about some of those things you were being told in terms of, um, you know, what your um, life was going to look like after this event. So you had a, a widow maker, it's called, right? Like a pretty mm -hmm. serious 
heart attack that only 12% of those who experience them outside of a hospital setting survive, um, according to your website. Um, so super fortunate to have survived. What were the things you were told to do and, and what did this bring to light in terms of like how the standard of care approach is doing us a disservice? Yeah. So, I mean, the very first thing I was told, I was lying there in the, in the cath lab, uh, after they did the procedure, feeling a lot better at that point. Um, could have been the stent, could have been the morphine, not sure. Um, but, uh, but uh, you know, the, the interventional cardiologist that did the procedure came up to me just very briefly. It was just like, how are you feeling? And I was like, better. And he was like, good. Your cholesterol is very high. And he walked out of the room, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that was the thing. And so like, and I knowing all the research that I've done knew that that was not the case. And that there's really no, um, solid evidence that cholesterol is this driver of, of heart disease and heart attacks. Um, and so, but you know, at that point I was just kind of like exhausted and thankful to be alive. So I was just like, whatever. Right. And, uh, and, and were so, there other uh, biomarkers that they were like troponin, I'm sure what, right. Was well, yeah, they, me- they measured that, you know, and that was obviously elevated because, um, right. you know, heart tissue was being damaged. Yeah. Um, but other than that, it was just cholesterol. And then, um, you know, so then I was, you know, went to the cardiac ICU at, for recovery and, you know, they would come in and I was prescribed, um, I think 11 and eight to 11 different medications. Um, more than that really, because there was all the insulin and they were trying to put me on too, um, which was way more than what I usually take. Um, and, uh, but, uh, but yeah, so, you know, I, I would question, you know, why they want me on these things. I, I just wanted to know. Um, and when I say question, I was just asking questions about them. I wasn't just blindly taking them and they would get frustrated with me. Um, not because I was being, um, I guess, uh, combative about it, uh, or argumentative, but I was just asking questions and they didn't like it. They just wanted me to, you know, they had five minutes with me and they wanted me to say, okay, and do whatever they said. Um, but you know, so after the heart attack, they're concerned about, you know, preventing the next one. Uh, they're concerned about the stent that's in there. So they want to thin the blood. So there's no clot forming from that. They're concerned about cholesterol. They're concerned about, um, development of heart failure, um, things like that. And, and so when I asked, you know, cause they put me on, or they tried to put me on two blood pressure medications. Um, and, uh, I, um, and I asked when I asked them why they were just like, Oh, because we want to take pressure of your heart to, well, when I first asked them, they couldn't really give me an answer, but eventually one uh, intern did give me an answer. Uh, and they said, or I guess it was a resident. Um, she said, we want to take pressure off your heart to prevent heart failure. Cause now that there's tissue damage to the heart. Um, we want to prevent uh, heart failure from happening. And I was just like, Oh, well, my blood pressure is fine. Um, it's actually on the lower end of normal. And, and I said, and I know other ways to, you know, prevent, um, uh, heart failure, um, which is, you know, infrared light, infrared sauna, things like that. Um, you know, having your heart rot off ketones and things like that. And so I was like, okay, well, I'm not worried about that. I'm going to go do that when I get home. Um, but they also, um, you know, a, a cardiac rehab nurse came in and, um, was telling me, you know, all the different things we have to do as far as exercise to prevent heart failure. And I asked her, have you ever heard of like infrared sauna, even though the research on infrared sauna and heart failure is absolutely amazing. She was just like, no, I've never heard that. And I was like, oh, um, and then another nurse came in to teach me about diet, um, and the diet to prevent heart failure. And it was a, you know, low salt, uh, extremely low fat uh, right. diet, which I had just, you know, researched all this stuff for my book, you know, how the, the exact opposite is what you'd want to do. Um, and, um, so I told her, I'm like, do you realize that because the diet literally fig Newtons was on the foods I was supposed mm-hmm. to eat or, um, or vegetable oils, or just cookies and crackers and, um, lots of grains and only low fat meat, things like that. Um, and so I was like, do you realize that this is the diet that actually creates heart disease and, and, or that contributes to heart disease? Because I don't think diet is by far the, the only thing that creates heart disease. Um, but, um, but she was just like, well, you know, this is, this is what all the you know research shows that it's the best. And I was like, well, actually it's what all the, you know, uh, bias research shows. And, you know, she really didn't quite understand it. She wasn't on uh, a level to really discuss it. She was just doing a job and that was just, you know, it is what it was. Um, but then, you know, I was also branded as a very uncompliant patient, even though I wasn't being argumentative, but like right. I, I found it in my notes later because I requested my notes after I left the hospital and there, you know, it was, um, it didn't say uncompliant, but it was just like, um, doesn't want to take this, doesn't want to take that, blah, blah, blah. 
And so every new physician that came in, like the last one that I saw was like, um, well, we don't want, we're not going to talk about medications because you've made it clear you don't want to take those. So um, I don't even want to, to bring it up. And I was just like, well, I have questions for you. And like, I want your opinion. I, I right. you know, but it was just, they didn't know what else to do. And you know, that's just the way the system is. So, you know, after those three days um, in the hospital, uh, I went home and I was just like, you know, I have to, I have to get this information out there because they're just like, if I followed their advice, I, you know, would have created another heart attack um, in my opinion. Um, but I, I went home and I did my own thing. Um, I put together this kind of heart healing protocol and three months later, I, I went to get my echocardiogram and my heart's completely healed pretty much. Um, and I'm back to normal, um, playing soccer, snowboarding, doing the things I like. So did you have any, well, first off, I just think to pause for listeners, Becky and I talk about this a lot, the importance of informed consent. And I'm always, you know, whether it's the field of oncology, oncology or cardiometabolic care, you name it, understanding within your physician or your medical team, what is the mechanism of action of said medication and what are the biomarkers that we're monitoring to determine success or necessity of use, um, I think is really important and, and should be a neutral, informed, empowered conversation. Um, but like you said, you know, why bring in a blood pressure medication if the goal is to maintain XYZ levels of blood pressure, if I'm able to do that and other mechanisms, are we in agreement that I'm, that we're, we're, we're progressing my care. Um, and I think all too often, that's just not the, they're, they're not open for conversation. It's follow the protocol because it's in the protocol is the answer <laughs> instead of because we're monitoring this biomarker and these are the outcomes we're looking to achieve. Yeah, it was, you know, you had a heart attack, here's the recipe for that. Right, um, right. You know, and without looking at, you know, you know 34 year old, um, generally healthy, yes, had a heart attack. Um, but, uh, but um, you know, healthy, like, maybe I don't need these, maybe I don't need a medication to prevent clotting, laying in bed, because, you know, that's, that's something that usually we see in, in older people, or maybe my blood pressure was 112 over 70. And I don't need a blood pressure medication, right? Uh, those types of things. And, um, and yeah, it was just this cookie cutter approach um, without you know, assessing. Yeah, I'm curious with your history as being a type one diabetic, and you know having this kind of seated concept of heart health risk factors. It sounds like maybe you had started writing your book before the heart attack. Is that true, or did you start yeah. and dive into this after? And then I'm also curious, what indicates or or biomarkers were you monitoring yourself? Like, had you done a coronary? calcium scan? Uh, were you monitoring your homocysteine and, and, and C-reactive protein or what types of things did you have any indicators of this onset of a risk factor from experiential arrhythmia or biomarkers that you were seeing mismanaged? Um, no, uh, none whatsoever. I had no indication that this was something that's going to happen. And that's one of the things I'm trying to get across to people is that, yeah. I mean, there's, there's studies out there that the standard modifiable risk factors um, that are being assessed for heart disease are not predicting heart attacks. Um, mm -hmm. you know, and, and that there's a growing number of heart attacks that are happening where those biomarkers are not predicting them. Um, I did have a CAC score done six months prior to my heart attack and it was zero. Um, absolutely no calcification. Doesn't mean there wasn't inflammation or soft plaque or whatever, um, because that doesn't measure that. Um, but a, a study just came out. I just posted on social media a few weeks ago, um, that showed that, if you have a CAC score of zero, LDL is, is unassociated with, with myocardial infarction. Um, and it's not a useful thing to track. Um, and I would argue that it's not a useful thing to track, even if your CAC score is, is elevated, but that's what that study, that associational study showed. Mm -hmm. um, but um, yeah, my, my, my HSCRP was normal. Um, you know, the, the only thing I guess that I could say that um, what's different for me is that I'm type one, my blood sugars are never going to be as stable as sure. someone who's not type one, even though I have good control. Um, there are just never, there's always going to be some fluctuations that nobody won't be there, but I don't think that's enough to cause, um, a heart attack. Um, I think that may help predispose me, uh, to some right. of the imbalances that cause heart attacks. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that it was mostly driven by stress. Um, and, um, and just, you know, uh, some events that led up to that time. Um, but, uh, but yeah, most of those biomarkers that we would use are, we're fine. You know, it's hard to take a fasting insulin to measure insulin resistance on a type one, because I'm injecting yeah, insulin sure. rather than being secreted right into my bloodstream. 
Um, but, um, but yeah, I mean, as far as I could tell, all the usual risk factors were fine. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about um, a little bit deeper on the the origins of heart disease and, you know, why it develops um, and what some of the misconceptions are here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my book, I always, and, and like you had mentioned, yeah, I did write most of my book before this happened. Um, and I was sitting there in the hospital, like, oh, I can't release this. I'm a hypocrite. Um but eventually decided to because of the experience I went through in the hospital and, and sure, all the absolutely. poor information that I got. And, um, and yeah, so in my book, I, I talk a lot about the kind of these three imbalances and, you know, I kind of highlight them and, and, and like bullet point them at these three things, but there's so many offshoots of all of, of the three of them that you can go into. Um, and so it's just, they're kind of broad topics, but they are poor metabolic health, um, which we would call insulin resistance or diabetes when it gets bad enough. Um, and, uh, and so that's a, a main driver of, you know, if the body can signal growth and repair, which if it can't, then atherosclerosis can happen. Um, then there's um, inflammation or oxidative stress, which are two different things, but kind of the same thing that kind of cause the same issues in the body. And, uh, and then balance in the autonomic nervous system, which is um, basically balance in our stress response. Are we having, are we able to have a stress response and get through that stress and then return to homeostasis normally? Because um, yeah. if we're not, uh, that can cause a lot of issues. So I kind of, you know, cater a lot of, you know, all the different uh, things that we see that can be risk factors for heart disease tend to create one or more of those situations, uh, poor metabolic health, inflammation, oxidative stress, or imbalance in the autonomic nervous system. Let's talk about the the ANS a little bit more, just because, you know, you're a chiropractor and, and mm-hmm. you do a lot more than just the like snap, crackle, pop adjustment of people's spines. Um, but let's talk about how you treat the nervous system and how imbalances in the ANS can actually contribute to heart disease. Yeah. So there's a few different ways. Um, so, you know, the autonomic nervous system is a system in our body that's measuring our environment through our senses. Um, and, and then interpreting that environment and telling our body, are we in a safe or threatening environment? Um, and based on which one we're in, it has the appropriate response. Um, and then, uh, so like if we're in a non-stressful environment, we can focus on things like digestion and sleeping and procreating and detoxification and things like that. Um, whereas if we're in a stress state, because we're maybe chronically, maybe incorrectly uh, thinking or creating a stressful situation, or the modern world is, is giving our body stressful signals, um, unnatural stressful signals, um, then we can get kind of uh, this over, um, overstimulation of the stress response and the people think, you know, there's, there's the stress response and non-stress response, sympathetic and parasympathetic, and we're in one or the other, but that's not true. Um, the, the nervous system is signaling both always at the same time. Um, and they're supposed to balance each other out, keep each other in check. Um, but sometimes we can get suppression of the parasympathetic, the non-stress one and overstimulation of the stress one, just due to, you know, how, or, or, um, or how we live our life and things. And so, and the things that are surrounding us. And so that can create this situation where we're always, our body's always thinking we're running from a threat. And so in that situation, your body's not thinking about digestion. It's not thinking about sleeping. It's not thinking about any of these things you do in a non-stress state. Um, but it can also mess with metabolism. It can mess with, um, it can mess with uh, your stress response so that an acute stress becomes more problematic. Um, and so, Specifically to heart disease, uh, the issues that it can create um, are one, I talk about extensively in my book, how the heart prefers to burn fatty acids uh, and ketones. And in a stress state um, or chronically stressed state, it can trigger more burning of glucose. Uh, and that can create issues uh, because, um, because it kind of creates this forced shift in metabolism that can actually create heart tissue death um, with no blockage or um, um, obstruction of blood flow whatsoever. Uh, and so that's kind of, I call them like metabolic heart attacks, but then the other issue with acute stress. And I, and I gave a talk on this, um, at Roanoke college, um, after my heart attack. And I, I kind of give my heart attack story in this talk and, um, and basically an acute stress, when we look at all the markers of coagulation or clotting in the blood and acute stress raises like all of them, um, or mostly all of them. And so if we're in this predisposed state uh, where we're having more chronic stress or we're insulin resistant or we have toxin exposure and we have all these things that um, can promote 
clotting, um, and then we have this acute stress, it can actually create a, a big enough clot that it can entirely block an artery where there's no atherosclerosis at all. It could just do it right then. Um, and so those are the issues with this imbalanced stress response, uh, because if it's chronically imbalanced, then we have this acute stress that can cause, you know, a heart attack without um, a blockage or a heart attack with a blockage. Um, and so uh, it's really important to, to learn about how to balance the autonomic nervous system and live your life in a way that creates that. Absolutely. And there's such complex mechanisms, you know, like you alluded to our audience is quite familiar with the HPA axis with my work with the anti-anxiety diet and this whole concept of how, right. It's not just rest and digest. It's this regulatory mode and how cortisol is a glucocorticoid and the connection of our adrenals and blood pressure, et cetera. Um, what do you find when you were talking about coagulation factors or clotting factors, um, you alluded to the fact that, you know, that wouldn't follow the progression of atherosclerotic plaque buildup, but that this blockage could occur independent of the standard mechanism with yeah. So cell progression, et cetera. Yeah. Let's kind of nerd out there a little bit. Yeah. So atherosclerosis is clotting tissue. When we look at plaque buildup in an artery, it's clot, it's fibrotic tissue. Uh, when they analyze it, um, you know, the, the different studies that I look at anywhere from 87 to 94% clotting tissue. Um, so it's not this gradual buildup of cholesterol in your arteries. It's what happens when the lining of the artery becomes damaged. And, you know, usually if we're insulin sensitive, um, or we have, you know, endothelial progenitor cells and things, adequate amounts of those, um, it will heal itself. It will repair itself. Just like if you cut your skin and a clot forms, you know, a scab forms over it to stop the bleeding. Like if a if the lining of the artery gets damaged and it can't repair itself um, because we're insulin resistant, then um, a clot will form. And so there's actually research that shows that the majority of time that these clots form, they're not big enough to cause a heart attack. Um, and so what can happen is that a clot over clot over clot can form and it can gradually build up and narrow the artery, but that doesn't even cause heart attacks. Um, cause if, a you know, if a, a, the only thing that causes like acute heart attacks is if a clot forms, that's big enough to block the artery instantly, or a clot that's big enough to, you know, block, uh, an artery stenosed area. So it has to happen fast enough that it cuts off blood flow. Um, mm-hmm. because in, in any other situation where it's a gradual buildup or gradual stenosis or narrowing of an artery, the body, according to research of, uh, Dr. Giorgio Baraldi, the body always builds collateral arteries around it um, Mm -hmm. if it happens slow enough, which is why the research on um, bypass surgeries and elective stent placements, like not stents like mine, like during a heart attack, but like ones where they go in, they look for stenosis and they say, oh, that's stenosis, we're going to put a stent in. Those don't reduce the risk of heart attacks later. They they don't because the body's already bypassed it itself. Mm -hmm. Um, And so the clotting that builds up um, is is just that, It's, it's clotting. So then we have to ask ourselves, what promotes clotting? What, what, well, what promotes damage to the lining of the artery that would, if we're in a state of insulin resistance, ultimately cause a clot to form? And what could, like in my case, acutely form a clot that was big enough to block an artery? Um, and it's, you know, it's no mistake that most, uh, and I've, I've talked to uh, Phil Ovedia about this, and most um, heart attacks, clots that form like that are in areas where there's a bifurcation or a turn in the artery, because that's where we start to get pooling up or stagnant flow, which can, you know, um, encourage clotting when things aren't flowing well. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's exactly where mine happened. It happened right into in a bend in one of the arteries. And so, um, so yeah, we have to ask ourselves what creates that damage um, that would in certain situations cause a clot to form. And so um there are many things that could do that. And I've, I've mentioned like insulin resistance, but, you know, um, things like endotoxemia, uh, things like um, heavy metal exposure um, or toxin exposure in general, um, which, you know, there's a certain, you know, recently rolled out injection that has lots of toxins in it um, yeah. that, uh, and we're seeing the evidence that people are struggling with clotting um, uh, when those have been rolled out. But um, but stress in general, like I, like I talk about, that is a huge um, uh, trigger of, of clotting or just, you know, coagulation, encouraging 
kind of situation. Um, but insulin resistance, um, uh, I mean, there's all kinds of things uh, that can that can in our modern world, you know, imbalance in our circadian rhythm, um, mm-hmm. dif- different things like that, that can all, you know, increase the viscosity of blood, decrease the movement of blood, increase inflammation, damage to the lining of the artery. They can all create this kind of perfect storm where it happens. Yeah. Totally. And, and I want to get to what we can do to reverse some of that and, and how we can, you know, prevent all of those things from happening. Um, but mm. I think first, can we talk LDL and cholesterol a little bit mm. and some of the just misconceptions in that arena? Cause I still pretty much every day I'm having a patient who's like, Oh, my total cholesterol was 250. My doctor wants to put me on a statin. And I'm like, Whoa, Whoa, Whoa. Like let's slow down and let's look at your other risk factors and, you know, might not be the worst thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is, this is a huge issue. I have, I have clients that reach out to me because they're in the military or they're in some job that monitors their health and their, their ability to do their job. And they start getting healthier by eating a certain way um, and, and that can increase LDL some, which is mm-hmm. not an issue in my opinion, but whoever they work for sees that as an issue and they're about to get, you know, fired or, or whatever. And so, you know, I just had to, you know, send them a bunch of information, a bunch of studies and everything that show that, that LDL is, is not this driver of heart disease. Um, but, you know, just to step back philosophically, um, to think that one molecule biomolecule in the body is the driver is a sole driver of a disease is incredibly reductionist mm-hmm. and and uh short-sighted in my opinion we're a very complex biological ecosystem and it's it's a it's a testament to me to the fact that medicine is driven by pharmaceuticals and biochemistry um which biochemistry is important um but it's totally you know ignoring the the complexity of everything um, and showing how you can't just change one biochemical pathway to force the body into some result that you want and prevent disease. Because if you look at the long-term studies on statins, they don't prevent heart disease. Uh, we've been prescribing them for years now. Uh, they're the number one, one of the number one drugs that and, and pain meds and things um, that are prescribed and heart disease continues to rise. We're not fixing the problem. Um, so, and there's plenty of side effects from having too low cholesterol because your body uses cholesterol for all kinds of things. I mean, it's, it's a huge component of your brain. It, um, like LDL itself carries fat soluble vitamins and energy around yes. uh, it's your sex hormones, it's cellular communication, it's everything, you know, uh, your body uses it for a lot of different things. Um, and so just that when you take all that kind of philosophical approach to it, and then you go look at the research, um, you know, just like just the mere fact that we're told that it, it slowly builds up in the cholesterol. Oh, and the the, the oxidized ones or the small dense ones are more problematic because they're inflamed. Um, and they're the ones that, that stick on and, and glob to the lining of the artery. And I don't even think that's true. Um, because, uh, because it's not the things that, cre- that it's not the, the small dense particles or the oxidized LDL that are causing the issue. It's the things that cause those things that are the issue, uh, the things that are also damaging the lining of the artery. And like I said, when we look at atherosclerosis, it's, it's, it's clotting tissue. It's fibrotic tissue. It's not cholesterol. There's some cholesterol present because when a clot forms, whatever's around just gets kind of sucked in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's very little, um, amounts. And, and so it's, it, it doesn't make sense to me from a philosophical point of view. And when you look at the history of why it was blamed, it doesn't make sense because there was really no evidence to begin with. And it was, a um, you know, it was, a it was beneficial to an industry, uh, yeah. and they kind of, they sponsored that. I mean, in 1984, they, they had this uh, meeting where they went to decide, you know, finally decide is cholesterol good or bad and they incorrectly you know, decided it was bad. And then, so they put together these committees to go around and teach doctors that it was bad and how to lower it and stuff. And the pharmaceutical companies got wind of that. Um, and so they started sponsoring these committees because at the time, the recommendation for LDL should be, it was 250 or lower. Right. Um, and then, you know, the committees came in and from the pharmaceutical companies, they came in and they started sponsoring the lowering that. So it went to 200, then it went to 150. Now mm-hmm. it's supposed to be hundred or lower. Mm-hmm. And which tells me that we have no idea what it's supposed to be. Right. Um, but also tells me that there's this big influence. Um, if we have a product that will do something, we're going to convince society that it needs to be done. Um, and that's really good business, I guess. Um, but it, it's cost, I guess, us a lot of money. Um, as a society. And so, yeah, it, does, it doesn't make sense in general. 
no doubt. We're always telling people that, you know, in fact, we've seen hypocholesterolemia, right. Or suppressed LDL levels actually corresponded with higher all-cause mortality, you know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so there's kind of a big reason that that's there. <laughs> Cholesterol is, you know, an integral component of your cellular membrane. Um, even the National Institute of Health will state on their website, maybe not on the front page, but you can see it through the NIH today that 50% of individuals with heart heart disease or heart attacks have a normal cholesterol. So you really have to question kind of the funding and what's driving this, um, uh, tunnel vision or myopic approach of, of lowering this value with this medication yields good outcomes. I just think that, that that's too, like you said, simplistic, um, or reductionist. Um, you mentioned oxidized LDL and although you mentioned maybe that isn't a driver of cardiovascular risk, it would be in some theory, maybe a biomarker to monitor for one of the risk factors we're identifying, which is oxidative stress and inflammation. So I'm curious what biomarkers you do find value in monitoring for listeners that have had a cardiac incident or are wanting to be pro-vigilant and, um, where you would really prioritize, um, monitoring either as a, a biomarker, as a serum lab draw or other health risk assessment measures. Yeah. And, and, and you're right, you know, oxidized LDL and like LP little a and APOB and uh, small dense particles. Like they're all things you could measure and track that would indicate there's something else wrong. There's right. insulin resistance, there's inflammation, oxidative stress, there's different things that are causing those things. So those can be markers that there's something else wrong, but just saying, Oh, sure. look, I have these things. They're causing disease. Let's lower cholesterol. That doesn't make sense. Gotcha. Yep, um, yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you know, when I, when I take it back to those kind of three imbalances I talk about in the book, it's, it's metabolic health. And so, you know, the, the best markers of metabolic health are, you know, get a fasting insulin, um, see, you know, how well your body is, is, uh, responding to insulin. Cause if it's high, then it's your body's having to use a lot of insulin to keep your blood sugar normal. So even if your blood sugar is normal, um, you could be insulin resistant for years before it ever shows up at, in the blood sugar. Um, but also the triglyceride to HDL ratio is a good marker of metabolic health. Um, and there's other ones, but those are, you know, I, I'm not huge on like doing tons and tons of testing. Um, I'd rather people spend their money on you know, intervention and, and lifestyle changes and things. Um, but those two right there are good for, um, for metabolic health and then inflammation and oxidative stress. Um, I mean, you could really get into the weeds measuring these things. You can, you can go as far as like measuring, you know, damage to DNA and damage to fats and, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Um, but I think generally if you just start with like a HSCRP, which is high sensitivity C reactive protein gives you a good idea if there's inflammation in the body. Um, and then, um, like a, maybe a liver GGT, um, yeah. could be a good indication of, of if there's oxidative stress or liver stress, you know, um, cause that's the one dealing with, with the, the toxins. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are, are good. Um, and like I said, you could go further, but you know, I'd rather people spend money on other things and then heart rate variability, as far as balance in the autonomic nervous system. Um, that's the best indicator of, of balance that we know of, um, in my opinion, um, uh, what device uh, do you like for that? Um, I use the aura ring, um, and you know, I'm not too big on like wearable devices because Uh of the EMF and stuff, but you can turn off the, the, um, the, the radiation or like the, the, the signal, um, Mm -hmm. from your, like your, put your phone in airplane mode and then turn off. You can, there's a setting, um, for the ring, you can turn it off. So it's still measuring like your biomarker, but then you turn it back on in the morning. Um, and, uh, cause that's the only time I use it to measure my HIV is I wear it at night and then it measures that I turn it on, I get the reading and then I take it off. I don't wear it during the day. Um, and, uh, and so not that you couldn't, it's just, I don't, but, um, but yeah, so that's what I use, but you could use like, there's lots of different devices that'll do that. Um, measure heart rate variability. There's ones that you wear all day, but there's also ones, um, like elite HRV that will just kind of measure it instantaneously. I don't think that's as accurate as, you know, it being monitored throughout a time period, like overnight or something. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but you could, you know, measure that. Um, and, you know, ultimately though, like testing is, is good and it gives us guidance. It kind of gives us an idea of where we are. It can be a good motivating factor for people who, you know, like to motivate, to change, you know? Yeah. Um, but I don't like, I don't like 
to think that testing will ever tell me if I'm healthy or not. Sure. Um, just like, I mean, it's, it's just like Western medicine. It's, it's, it can be very good. Like blood work, blood work can, be, yep. can be very good at telling me if there's something really wrong. Um, but to micromanagement and, and, and stress about it, about if, if I healthy, if I, if I'm at risk, you know, it can only really guide you in that. It can't really, it's not really going to tell you, yes, you're completely safe because just like in my case, you know, everything looked pretty good. Um, but you know, it, it still happened. And so, um, I like to kind of step back and think about, you know, you know, this, this wisdom of like how humans for, for millions of years, um, it was, how'd you feel? What was this? Yeah. What was the reaction? Like test things out. Did that make your body feel good or bad? Um, and, and kind of using that wisdom, but, uh, but yeah, those are, those are the biomarkers I, I recommend to people. Yeah. You mentioned your calcium scan was zero. So that wouldn't have told us anything. Yeah. Was yeah, there's lots of emphasis on, on that test and yes, it can be useful. Um, but I like to remind people that, you know, cause some people it's, it's becoming popular to get one and they'll go right. and they'll get it and they will be like 300 and they're like, well, I've been changing out. my diet, whatever. Yes. And I'm just like, well, how do you know it wasn't 500 before right, right, you have right. one, you have one marker in time that yes. we, we can't compare, you know? Yeah. I think that's so true. It's kind of a part of the story when we're looking at biomarkers in labs and it can allow us to inquire or dig deeper or, um, potentially monitor and, and hopefully should be a status of something that's empowering as far as information gathering, but we always connect the story back to the self, yeah. <laughs> back to the experience in the body. Um, and I'd love to hear before we nerd out on some diet food as medicine and nutrients of focus and, and such, um, you mentioned infrared sauna, um, if we're connecting kind of more of these like esoteric concepts of the autonomic nervous system and this, you know, regulating of stress response, what are some of your kind of top three go-tos for someone that is a high stressed individual to get their body into more of a parasympathetic space? Yeah. The, so this, this topic I like to, well, there's like the kind of emotional aspect of it and how hard, you know, we, we associate the the heart with our emotions. Why we say, I love you with all my heart or I gave it all my yeah. heart or whatever. Um, like, I think it's kind of our sixth sense organ. It's, it's measuring our emotional state and telling our brain where we're at emotionally, um, which is why, um, you know, an imbalance in the stress response can be so problematic for the heart. Um, there's that aspect of things. And so when you're thinking about that, it's like, do you have positive social relationships around you? Um, do you have toxic relationships around you? Sure. Are you in, in a situation where you feel like you're out of control or in an unpredictable situation, whether that's your job or your life or whatever, you know, like, are you, are you working in a company where the pay is not consistent or your hours are not consistent or there's no job security? Like those things are stressful and it makes you feel like you're out of control. Um, those are, those are big issues that the research shows are more detrimental to health. Those stresses are more detrimental to health. Whereas the stress of, you know, the CEO at the top where he's got more control is welcome stress. You know, it's almost like a you stress. Um, and so, so we have to think about those things in our life and, and mitigate those things. But also, um, the bigger, the bigger thing I think in, in modern, in, in modern days is kind of like this biophysics or I would say quantum aspect of, of biology. And so that is, you know, how matched up are you to the day night cycle? Um, are you, are you bathing yourself in, in blue light at night uh, when you shouldn't be in totally creating imbalance in that, because that's very stressful to our physiology. Um, you know, is your job taking you all over different time zones? You know, that's very stressful. Um, things like that, or, you know, how connected are you to the earth? Um, not just, you know, the, the light cycle of the sun, but like to the earth itself, like, do you have nature exposure? Um, cause you know, it, people think, oh, that sounds kind of woo woo, but you know, it's like, that's where humans evolved for yeah. millions of years before we came indoors most of the time. And so aspects of what the earth offers us, like, like the electrons from the earth or the, the right type of electromagnetic field from the earth, um, our, our physiology evolved a way to use that uh, to, to survive. And so we need to kind of nourish that. I mean, light and the right type of electromagnetic fields are nutrients. Uh, and we need to pay attention to those things. Um, because if you look at the modern way of life, we're not outside as much. We're under artificial light. We're not touching the earth. We're, you know, um, more connected, but less connected, um, in general because of social media, but that's not really true connection. And, and it just creates this situation where your, your body, thinks your autonomic nervous system is, is, is having a stress response to those things. Um, and you may not feel it because this is like 
you know, like I said, the quantum things you can't really see or measure like infrared light. You talked about sauna. I mean, that's like infrared is the highest when we're watching the sunrise and the vast majority of people probably don't see the sunrise on their naked eyes. And so they're not getting infrared light exposure. And so, you know, when we, when we artificially create that, I mean, we could go out and get the sunrise, which I try and do as often as I can. Um, but we could artificially recreate that with an infrared sauna. Um, and, uh, and we see the benefits of it. And there's so much benefit, like in the research on infrared sauna, especially with heart failure, um, because, you know, it's what actually creates flow of blood, um, infrared light, um, you know, does mechanisms that, that stimulates blood to flow. And so when we do that, we take a lot of pressure off the heart, which its job is not to, to create blood flow in the first place. But, um, but yeah, so we, we look at these other quantum aspects of things, these, these biophysics aspects of things, because things have been so focused on biochemistry because of nutrition and pharmaceuticals. They've really driven the, the way we view the body as this biochemical being when really there's a very large biophysics side to us um, that we have to pay attention to. And it becomes into play um, very heavily when we talk about balance in the autonomic nervous system. Got it. Okay. So sauna resetting your circadian rhythm, I think could be good places, um, to start. Um, mm -hmm. and certainly, you know, finding ways to control what we can in our, you know, financial work life, whatnot, um, having those positive relationships. And then, um, let's talk more about, um, diet and, you know, another aspect that we are in hopefully pretty decent control of, um, what are your thoughts in terms of like the essential nutrients for heart health? Um, do you feel that, you know, keto is the best diet? As you mentioned, ketones can be quite stabilizing to the heart and, and, um, a preferred fuel source, if you will. Um, and then do you have any like favorite superfoods for heart health? Yes. Diet and, uh, superfoods is definitely a topic that I want to hear a lot more about, but before we do that, let's actually get a word from our sponsor of today's episode, Wild Foods. Yes. Speaking of superfoods, right? Wild Foods is a food company that puts quality, sustainability, and health first in all of their products. They've got everything from coffee to turmeric to medicinal mushrooms, and every single product is going to be painstakingly sourced from small farms around the globe. They take their mission seriously to fix the broken food system and believe real food is medicine just like we do. Um, let's talk about maybe some of our favorite products. So starting with their wild vanilla bean, which is carefully selected, hand harvested whole vanilla beans that are mm -hmm. ground, super yummy. Um, I love putting this in like a matcha latte also made with the wild foods matcha, which is some of the most vibrant, green, yes. bright, amazing tasting matcha that I've ever had um, made from stone ground leaves. And then um, we also love their tea blends. Absolutely. I think teas are a great way to boost heart health as well as metabolic health, especially anything in the vein of a green tea is going to have a rich amount of that EGCG, high antioxidant, which has been shown to support body fat burn. But also when we're bringing in these teas and botanicals, it's a way to boost up your antioxidant status and reduce that risk factor of oxidative stress. So if you're looking for herbal teas, something like their coconut chai, which which is a delightful blend of ginger, coconut flakes, cloves, and saffron and chili flakes, uh, as well as red rooibos as the base of this. So you're getting a really nice boost from that African bush tea, if you will, uh, non-caffeinated, but tannic and really warm with that coconut flake extract in there. Uh, we also love their Thai ginger Tea, which is a Thai G, excuse me, it's a uh, green rooibos with lemongrass and uh, dried ginger in there. So high antioxidant boost, another non-caffeinated option. And then they do have beautiful black teas and green teas. Um, they have many different blends over at wildfoods.co. And that's a great way to check out other pantry staples to add into your food as medicine pantry, if you will. And one other one that I'll note, because we're still in the month of February and chocolate and heart health, uh, I think are definitely connected. They're Cocotropic Wild Superfood Elixir. This is a blend of cacao, raw cacao powder, along with medicinal mushrooms like reishi and chaga, 
raw uh, maca and turmeric so it's anti-inflammatory it supports as a nootropic or a brain booster as well as a stress resilient or stress stabilizing formula it doesn't have as much caffeine as you would get in coffee but it will give you a nice energetic surge with those mushrooms as adaptogens and then a little bit of antioxidant boost for sure from that cacao powder it sips like a hot cocoa Um, could also be added into smoothies as a great way to get that flavor profile with a food as medicine boost so go on over to wildfoods.co that's wildfoods with an s dot co not dot com use ally miller rd at checkout and you will get 12 percent off of your order love it so much goodness from wild foods all right dr hussey let's hear your take on superfoods for heart health support um yeah so like I mentioned, yeah, the heart does prefer fatty acids and ketones. And, you know, I talk about studies in my book where, um, you know, even in the presence of glucose, if they put ketones in the heart tissue, will use the ketones first, um, which is unlike other tissues in the body, um, where we have to kind of restrict the glucose to force your body to, to, you know, burn fatty acids and make ketones. Um, so that seems to be interesting. And I think there are reasons for that that I talk about in the book, but it's definitely more efficient for the heart to be burning fatty acids and ketones. And the only time I've seen in the research that um, it's more beneficial for the heart to burn glucose is during reperfusion, which is when there's been tissue death and then blood comes back in, like they reestablish blood flow. Um, you know, the heart prefers to burn glucose in the time, but I think because it's quicker and it's really trying to heal things very fast. Um, and so that could be why. Um, but any other time it prefers fatty acid ketones. So you want to provide your, your heart, um, and body in general, but your heart with those nutrients. And so you want to be metabolically flexible because I think that being metabolically inflexible where you're, you know, used to burning glucose. And if you took away that glucose, you know, it's hard for your body to upregulate the mechanisms of making ketones and burning fatty acids that could be problematic for the heart. You don't want to be in that situation. So eating in a way that creates metabolic health, which to me is whole foods, like eat whole foods. Um, and you know, you know, prioritize protein, um, get plenty of animal fats and then, um, you know, fill the rest with, with, you know, carbohydrates in the form of like vegetables, you know, um, but you know, and then different people will have different, um, uh, needs, I guess, you know, as far as protein amounts, they do better on no, no carb. They do better on very little carb. It just, it just depends. Um, but I, it's also important not to be dogmatic about a diet and realize that the diet that, you know, heals you or gave you better health may not be the diet that's best for you the rest of your life. Sure. Um, but, um, but yeah, so specifically nutrients, I mean, protein is really important, but animal protein is especially important. And that's because, um, the maintenance of muscle mass is definitely, um, you know, very important as we age, but also different nutrients like carnosine and carnitine and taurine, um, and creatine, which are found, mostly in animal foods are incredibly beneficial to the heart, um, especially carnitine, which is, you mm-hmm. know, something that allows your uh, mitochondria to use, utilize fatty acids. Um, but even carnosine has been shown to help um, with the healing of uh, uh, heart tissue after, after it's uh, been damaged. And then taurine is really important for the lining of the artery um, for the health of the lining of the artery. And we, we find a lot of that in, in pork and stuff. So um those specific nutrients are very important, but also within animal products, we see a lot of K2, vitamin K2, um, which I think is deficient in a lot of people because um, K2 is responsible for taking minerals and depositing them where they need to go, like into the teeth and the bones and things. And mm-hmm. so if we don't have enough, we're more likely to get a calcification in other places like the lining of an artery. Um, CoQ10 is also very important. Um, I mean, it's, it's really important for... Um, uh, I can't remember one of those steps in the mitochondria that, you know, where it's going to create health of the mitochondria, which is essential for heart tissue. If we're going to burn fatty acids, we want healthy mitochondria passing electrons down, uh, super fast so that we're making, um, energy water, um, and, and things like that. And so, uh, CoQ10 is found really high in organ meats, um, like liver and heart, uh, things like that. Um, and so, I mean, those would be my, my, my heart, uh, I guess superfoods would be organ meats. Um, and let's see, um, magnesium, super important, uh, especially for, you know, muscle tissue, which the heart is muscle tissue. Um, and 
um, the, the lining of the arteries uh, within the, the wall of the artery, there's muscle that allows it to expand and contract. Um, so, so yeah, those are, those are some of the big ones. I mean, I like people to center their diet around animal foods and, and make sure they get enough fat and then, you know, add variety with different vegetables and, and, you know, hundred percent organic, get rid of the glyphosate and, and, uh, things like that. And they should do pretty good as far as metabolic health. Yeah. Uh, there were a lot of carnivores at keto cons. We were curious where you stood on kind of the plant. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like yeah. it can be part of it. Right. Oh yeah, definitely. And I think, you know, that, you know, there's definitely, it, it's a spectrum, you know, like some people develop these different, uh, they develop a poor gut health and that can lead to a food allergy and that some of those plants can trigger those. And mm-hmm. I know people that go off of those and it's the best they've ever felt. I mean, that was, that's happened to me. I went carnivore for a while. My gut health was the best it's ever been in my life. And, and then I added plants back in and it's still the best it's ever been in my life. So it's like, almost like I allowed it to heal, mm-hmm. but I don't have to stick to it the rest of my life. Sure. Um, I love that. And yeah. yeah and, 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 you know, and there's something to be said maybe for some hormetic stress from some of these plant toxins and mm-hmm. things, but there are other things that, you know, can happen because some of these plant toxins can cause other issues. So you can get hormetic stress other ways, you know, and it's just, I don't know. There's, there's no black and white answer and everybody's trying to look for that and, and be on one side or the other sometimes. And to me, it's just, um, you know, the ability to see benefit and see you know, across the whole spectrum and how people are different is, is more beneficial because uh, it's more realistic for most people. Love it. Yeah. You said something about, you know, kind of releasing dogma within the diet. And that's one of my favorite mantras that I use all the time is doctrine creates disconnect. You know, if we're Mm -hmm. so indoctrinated with this quote unquote, perfect diet, then we actually disconnect from the feedback of our body of what it needs, what it craves, what it desires, um, you know, connecting with maybe seasonal eating with what the earth provides Mm -hmm. based on your area. Um, you know, getting more involved with the direct growing process of your food, I think can also be one of these important tiers and, and can be equally as healing than avoidance. Yeah. I mean, it gets you out, definitely gets you out into the environment that creates your food, which is also an environment that heals your body. You're Mm -hmm. more in contact with the earth, you're out in the sun, that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, you know, we don't want to be, you know, caught up in, in dogma and be disconnected like that. Um, because there is no such thing as a perfect diet. Absolutely mm-hmm. not. Um, you know, and I mean, that's what people struggle with. It's like, what's the diet for humans? Right. <laughs> and there's no such thing as that. And just like, there's no perfect diet for a chimpanzee or a rhinoceros. Like we're all just trying to, you know, survive, uh, in this world. And we've made it very easy for us to survive as humans. We've created a society that makes it very easy to survive. And, um, and that, um, and that where there's food readily available. And so then we, we get to argue over what, what diet is best. When in reality, if we were out in the wild trying to live, it wouldn't matter. It was like, it's get calories, you know? And if this, and if this, you know, um, if this food here caused an issue, um, then, okay, we're not going to, that's not a source for us, you know? And it was just like that, that kind of trial and error. Um, but yeah, I mean, we're all just in this kind of, we're still evolving, you know, and that, that doesn't stop uh, just because we've created this made slow because we've created the environment that we're in, but um, it's still no perfect diet. It's just, it's get the nutrients, uh, create metabolic health and avoid toxins. Like those are the, those are the things you want to do when you think about diet. Love it. Awesome. Uh, let's tell listeners a little bit about your book, uh, understanding the heart and how they can stay connected with you to learn more. Yeah. So my book came out, um, April last year and, you know, I talk about, you know, a lot of things obviously in the book, but, um, um, atherosclerosis and you know, metabolic heart attacks and why heart cancer is rare and how the heart's not the mover of the blood and, and what does create movement of the blood and, um, lots of different things, uh, interesting things that I found. Uh, so I hope that it helps people, but, um, but yeah, you know, um, I talk about my book on, on social media and I, and I try and speak as often as I can. Um, but you know, people can find me on social media, um, Dr. Stephen Hussey, Dr. Stephen Hussey. Um, and, uh, my website is resourceyourhealth.com. Um, and I'll be speaking at KetoCon again and a few other conferences this year. So if people want to keep track of that, they can get on the social media and, and I'll always be announcing those types of things. Uh, and I do health consulting through my website. Uh, so if people want to work with me, they can do that as well. 
Awesome. awesome. And then before we let you go, one of our favorite questions as dietitians uh, is to ask you yesterday, your 24 hour recall, <laughs> just to give a little insight of <laughs> your daily experience. Um, so Sunday, if that helps, um, from when you woke up to when you went to bed, what'd you eat? Let's see. I was at my parents' house this weekend. Uh, my sister was in town from Ireland, so I went to see her. Um, I had three eggs or four eggs, maybe, um, and uh, some breakfast sausage. And then that's what I had in the morning. Um, and then, oh, yeah. And then after that, I had uh, a little coffee with heavy cream and electrolytes and collagen and butter. And then at lunch, I had my brother made a, a roast um, with carrots and mushrooms and onions in it. So I had that. And then I didn't have anything else the rest of the day. All right. That's awesome. pretty good. Sounds like a good day. And yeah, look, it was good. Look at all those eggs that you ate. Um. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Thank you so much for uh, being on the podcast and sharing your wealth of wisdom. I'll make sure to link all of the places that listeners can find you in our show notes for today. And we just appreciate your time and your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Naturally Nourished podcast. Visit our blog at AllieMillerRD.com for recipes, wellness tips, and food as medicine meal plans. Connect with Allie and Becky at AllieMillerRD on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Until next time, stay nourished and be well.